Unity is beautiful, fragile, elusive, and complicated. This was true back in the first century when Paul wrote to the newly united Gentiles and Jews struggling together to follow Jesus. It was true in Northern Ireland as Protestants and Catholics tangled at the beginning of the 30 years war in today's film. And unity is actually really problematic right here in 2022 as the United Methodist Church divides and chooses sides over the issue of ordaining LGBTQ persons and performing their weddings. But regardless of its difficult nature, we are called to it. I want to be very clear about something. The unity to which Paul speaks isn't political unity. It's about church unity. His call to live a life worthy of your calling is directed towards believers and people who are coming to believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wasn't writing to the Democrats and Republicans and independents of his day. He was writing to Jews and Gentiles who were struggling to find a way to faithfully believe and follow Jesus together amid deep difference. So today we seek to think about ways to strive for unity in these divided times. Ephesians and Belfast are our guides. Some background on the movie, here's a little bit. Belfast depicts the struggles between Protestants and Catholics in the summer of 1969 through the innocent and bright eyes of nine-year-old Buddy. Buddy's from a Protestant working class family. He learns valuable lessons from his grandpa and gets the bejesus scared out of him from their Protestant church's preacher and his well-articulated fire and brimstone sermons. One particular sermon about the fork in the road to heaven and hell sticks with Buddy all throughout the narrative. Complicating the story is Buddy's dad is largely absent, not because he doesn't want to be, but he has to be away during the week in England as his family experiences crushing financial debt. Dad's absence provides an opening for thug leaders unified around expelling the Catholics to recruit children like Buddy to their gangs. On their little neighborhood block, Catholic and Protestant families have co-mingled and lived peaceably for generations, even with differing religious and political beliefs. But now that co-mingling is in jeopardy. That co-mingling ends in the first five minutes of the movie. Buddy is playing with a pretend sword and garbage can uh, cover as a shield when he's summoned home for dinner. On his way home, he's talking to everybody and everything changes. A mob of nationalist Protestants attempt to root out Catholic families by smashing bricks through the windows of their houses and lighting them on fire. Innocence was lost. He, what he had always known was stolen. So how do we lose unity as the church? Type it in the comments. We lose unity around love when there's presence of fear and mistrust and communication deficiencies and misunderstood cultural practices. In the church, unity erodes when there are disagreements about religious belief, doctrine, and church practice. That certainly was the case when Paul was writing to the different churches in the New Testament. The irony is that all of these things can establish unity and create common enemies. Unity around enemies can be as impactful as unity that's centered around love. In our time, church divisions can be lumped under the umbrella of biblical interpretation. 
There are differing views, both on issues that were actually written on in the Bible and issues that weren't. Deeply divisive issues like LGBTQ inclusion, Roe versus Wade, capital punishment, war, guns, caring for the poor, Christian nationalism, and whether God wants everyone to be healthy and wealthy. These divide the church. They splinter unity, and groups within them circle the wagons. What always seems to happen, I don't know if you've experienced this, but what always seems to happen is you are asked to pick sides. During one poignant scene in Belfast, the night after the riot, they're around the dinner table, and Buddy asks his dad whether he's going to be a vigilante. And if it was our side that destroyed the Catholic houses on their street, his dad retorts in that great accent, Buddy, there is no our side and their side on our street, or at least there didn't used to be. And then he remarks, this whole bloody religion, that's a problem. You know, we must acknowledge some truth in Buddy's dad's declaration. Religion has gotten it wrong on big issues, including our beloved United Methodist Church. Two examples in the past, slavery and women. Both were justified with scripture passages, both deeply divisive. Both eroded unity and made the church splinter. But in these cases, it was good to leverage unity around division so that the church could evolve in love and inclusion. There will always be forces at work that seek to tear us apart. Sometimes the tearing is necessary, like I just mentioned. Other times, it isn't. Figuring out which is which is the difficult discernment and journey. Ever since the Tower of Babel, human beings have been unifying around their diversity and gathering in camps and tribes that are at odds with each other. The gospel calls the church, that means me and you and all of us, to do conflict and unity differently than how the world does it. Ephesians is a general letter that summarized Paul's understanding of beliefs about Jesus Christ in the church and then how to live out those beliefs. The Greek word for unity that Paul uses is henates. The word for unity is only found in the New Testament twice, this word, this Greek word, and both times are in Ephesians 4, first in chapter 4, verse 3, and then in verse 13. Now, chapter 4 is all about unity and maturity. Paul opens with urging his readers to live lives worthy of the calling that they receive from God. Then he encourages them to verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The rest of the chapter suggests that in order for us to live lives worthy of our calling and to strive for unity, a few things must happen. First, church leaders with certain gifts that he lists must exert their spirit-given giftedness to help the entire church discover their own gifts and actually serve. And the gifts of the people serving should be targeted in a way that builds up the church. Why does this even matter? Paul believes that when leaders do their role to equip and everybody else finds a way to serve to build the church, every member of the church grows and becomes spiritually mature. Here's the thing. Spiritual maturity matters. It creates unity in the church. Say that with me. Spiritual maturity matters. It's hard to have unity when people aren't growing towards spiritual maturity. Here's how Paul actually lays it out in the verses. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. These are well-known equipping gifts. 
They help gather, invite, and teach people about Jesus in the church, what to believe and how to practice that belief. Verse 12 and 13. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity, there's that word again, in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's that word again, unity, verse 13. Paul asserts that spiritual maturity, when we grow in the understanding of God revealed in Jesus, trust in God, and when we find our giftedness so that every person in the church helps build it, we are spiritually mature and we will find unity. And if we don't, there are outcomes too. Paul suggests that faulty teaching, faulty teachers, toxic religion, and leaders who are crafty and immature will emerge and tear up church unity. Here in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In summary, Paul wants us to live our calling from God and be unified. He, he knows this is a monstrous and fragile task, and to do it, we must become spiritually mature by growing. We grow by learning about Jesus, striving towards unity with love, discovering our gifts, and serving to build the church and spiritual maturity results. And that maturity will prevent us from getting fooled by faulty and bad theology. I'm sure some of you are thinking, all right, that's great, whatever. So what now? I want to suggest a few things in a moment to create unity among division in the church. But prior to doing that, I'd like to acknowledge a few truths about unity. Firstly, unity does not mean there's no conflict, nor that everybody believes the same about every issue. Secondly, there are things that are central and things that are important, but not central. Church unity can be practiced in disagreement. John Wesley said this, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. There are issues and times we must pick sides, particularly when people are being hurt, excluded, or expelled. So with all this in mind, the way we go about creating unity is important. So here are just a couple of principles. First, remember love, make the main thing the main thing, and take steps to grow. Remember love. Paul says to be humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's what we do when we disagree. Love is at the center of our life together, even when the strands of unity are being torn. We must speak the truth in love so that we grow. That's what we do. We speak the truth in love and disagreement, but we do it with kindness and respect. Secondly, make the main thing the main thing. Again, from John Wesley, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. Now, the hard part about that is agreeing on what the essentials are and who gets to decide what the essentials and non-essentials are. Paul uses one eight times in six verses. That's what he thinks the essentials are. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are the essentials with regard to belief. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, grace, forgiveness, mercy, justice, the call to love God to our neighbor and to love our enemies. Those are the essentials. Lastly, take the steps to grow. It'll help you mature. You can grow in knowledge and faith and spiritual practice. And if you aren't regularly praying or reading scripture or you haven't found a small group or haven't been in one in forever, take a step in one of those directions or all of them because you can't become spiritually mature on your own. And if you don't know what a spiritual gift is, find out. Or if you don't know what yours is, discover it. Commit to a place to serve that will help build the church. There's lots of places to do that. And if you don't know where to start, just, just scan the QR code at the bottom of the screen or just email me. Throughout the film, Belfast, the family wrestles on whether to stay in Belfast and all that they've known for generations or to depart the danger and start a new life. The other thing that's kind of adorable is that we watch Buddy's relationship with his crush all throughout the movie. She's cute, she's got pigtails, she's got blonde hair, and she happens to be the smartest student in school and Catholic. So the thought of leaving Belfast is devastating to Buddy. And as the violence escalates and the recruiting for the gangs intensifies, the father continues to advocate departure. Here's a spoiler alert, close your ears if you don't wanna hear it, they leave. And that, so there's the final scene, and it illustrates God-like unity, the family standing at the bus stop with their suitcases, preparing to leave behind the life they've always known, the people they've always known. But before the, they do, dad hands Buddy some flowers and a card and says, hey, follow me. The dad takes Buddy to his crush's house, and Buddy walks to the door and knocks. She arrives at the threshold. He hands her the flowers and card, and she hands him a gift. And after they both say, thanks, Buddy looks down and sighs. And he looks up and gazes at her and says, I'll be back. And she says, make sure you do. And then he goes, cheerio. And he walks across the, the street there to meet his dad. And he sadly discusses the goodbye. He questions his father. He goes, do you think we could have a future with that wee girl? And his dad responds inquisitively, why the heck not? He said, you know she's a Catholic, right? His response was beautiful. He kneels down and gets face to face with Buddy and says this, that wee girl can be a practicing Hindu, a Southern Baptist, or a vegetarian antichrist. But if she's kind and she's fair, and the two of you respect each other, she and her people are welcome at our house any day of the week. Agreed? Agreed. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received from God and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And as you do, remember love, the essentials, and get going to grow. Let us pray. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Universal Church, the United Methodist Church, the people at Hyde Park United Methodist Church, 
We pray for, that we might strive for unity, that we might love, and that when we disagree, we would do it in love, remembering those principles about disagreement and unity. Help us to be the people you've called us be, to be so we can love God and love others more and more and more and more so that gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. Ask all these things in the power of the risen Christ. Amen.